0: That's noom.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: How's it going? And welcome to episode 91 of On the Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On the Wire Pod. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, of course, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. And once again, Joined by Kevin Hastings, who should be followed on the Twitter at Hastings Kevin. And we're going back to back here, Kevin. Can't get enough of this. And there's honestly, it's just there's too much going on as we recorded. We're recording today on Thursday. Not sure when this is going to go out. It might put this out over the weekend. It might be a little bit earlier, depending on how much news breaks and makes what we have to talk about out of date once again. But good to have you back.
2: Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, you tweeted about this earlier about, yeah, we just got to do another episode. So maybe we'll have to do another one to get out before <laughs> Sunday, the way things are going. And especially with the one certain team that we have the two of you here today that we are ready to dive into.
1: There's a lot going on with this team. And Absolutely. in the last 48 hours <laughs> or 24 hours, even between... The Rule 5 draft, losing three players in the Rule 5 draft, which is going to be the main topic that we talk about today, and then all the signings and or non-signings that have been made in the last 24 hours since we last recorded. As you alluded to, we do have special guests to help break it down and maybe break down ourselves just a little bit in the process of talking about it. We are lucky to have with us Shelly Vestrate, contributor over at NBC Sports Edge, Baseball HQ, and of course, being a manager right here at Pitcher List. Shelly's recently added her Tout Wars championship to her trophy chest taking home the 2022 Tout Daily Crown. Yes, Shelly, I assume they give you an actual crown when you win these types of things. So I want to see that on video that a little bit later if you have it. But thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah,
3: I didn't know. I didn't know I was supposed to take the crown cuz I have it like sitting over there. Uh, anyway, Oh, uh, you yeah. have to
1: get up. It's a whole thing. I get it's, it. It's fine.
3: Yeah, I don't want to waste like people's time. But no, <laughs> thanks thanks for having me on. Now, uh, this is this is great. Same timing that we picked <laughs>
1: This was on the books for a while. It, it just so happens that we've got we've got two Sox fans on the show to talk positive, mostly I gonna say mostly negative, but some positive. There's some stuff in here that I too, And I like that we're both all decked out. I'm a little off camera, but I've got my, I got my Veritech jersey on. You got your hat. I think you got a hoodie on there as well. Kevin, you're just rocking the P, the list hat. That's fine. Yeah. Your Royals have a full roster, so I'm not sure that they're going to actually make any moves.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what the talk is. I- I'm with this as a Royals fan. We were upset over some of the early signings the Royals made the last couple of years. And it seemed like they were overspending on guys that if they'd have waited, they could have got similar for much less money. Mike Miner, Carlos Santana, these types of moves. So the fact that they're, they're standing pat and hopefully with the new coaching staff concentrating more on development, I kind of like that the Royals are having a quiet off.
1: Season. It really sounded like there that you were just describing a fancy auction. It's like, all right, you can either spend (laughs) early for these first couple rounds, guys, or you can wait and get this. Why draft this guy in the first round when you can get the same production 20 rounds later? That's exactly what you just said the Royals were uh, were doing. Hopefully it works (laughs) out. Yeah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we got three different sized moves that we're going to talk about today in our news and notes section. Let's get right into it. And let's just get these out of the way. First and foremost, Shelly, we both woke up to it. Xander Bogarts, no longer a Boston Red Sox. He's heading to San Diego. He's he's joining Don Orsillo. So good on Don for being able to be reunited with Xander. Saw his picture tweet earlier today as well. Congratulations to him. But it's once again, San Diego stealing all of our nice things. And it just shows that we can't have nice things in this day and age. At least <laughs> that's what it <laughs> seems like. What Where do the Red Sox go from here? At least on their in, in their infield. Are you of the opinion that... Devers is not long and he's going to end up getting traded or do you see him be, like getting all the money?
3: The cynic fan in me says, no, he's gone. We haven't, we haven't signed any, anyone like any of our like homegrown guys have right. all left. It was Lester. It was Mookie. It was now Xander. It's just, it's probably a really hope that they do back up. the Brings Drunk and just totally give someone that they have developed for the minor leagues. Some type of, give him something. Give us fans who've just, just <laughs> been heartbroken about just losing everyone. Just give us someone. Yeah, but where they go from here? But yeah, that's an interesting thing because I was just out of fandom aside of just Xander being my favorite player on the team. I don't really like the idea of Trevor story going back over to shortstop just based on that elbow. And we haven't seen him make throws from shortstop since that elbow thing like crept up during like his last season with Colorado. But I don't think that we're going to go and sign like Correa or something like that. So at second base, I guess if everything stays the same, we got Christian Arroyo, which is really not that great, but we do have. I like Avorio as like a bench guy. Like he's totally as who he is. He, he is, is cool.
1: who he is, and he's perfectly fine. Yes, I exactly.
3: agree. But I personally, I would like them to go get a Gene Segura. I don't think that they will. But we do have a prospect out in the minors, Emmanuel Valdez. He's twenty three. Mm. He came over from Houston in the Christian Vasquez deal. Is a nice left handed, probably like super util type bat. But he hit two ninety six, three seventy six, five forty two with twenty eight. Ho- 28 home runs last year through A AA and AAA. So maybe we go that route, but. So yeah. you've given
1: up on Jeter Downs, I'm taking it.
3: Oh, yes.
1: No, yeah. <laughs> this isn't breaking news here. It's still, He still exists. He's still on the roster. He was the quote centerpiece in the Mookie deal. As we all remember, we did not want, we didn't want Gratterall. We didn't want Bruce R. Gratterall from Minnesota at the time. So they found a way to finagle it where Gratterall went to the Dodgers and the Dodgers sent us Jeter Downs in conjunction with Verdugo. That does not seem to be working out. And so I like your optimism that there are other options, at, at least in, in the middle infield, at second base specifically, going there. Yeah, This it, it's hard to answer the question. I, I know I posed it to you, like, where do we go from here? And I was telling Kevin right before we recorded, I'm like, I was looking at the roster resource page. I was looking at the lineup. I'm just looking at all the names on that lineup and I'm like, this is not the team I signed up for. I don't know this team as simple as that. We're going to get to them in a little bit, but the, the newly signed Masataka Yoshida is leading off according to Jason over at roster resource. We'll see if that sticks. Obviously it's a big question mark there, but, and then no, you should have, no Mookie, obviously no JD, no Xander. And it's, it's strange. It's just a strange feeling. And I, I know as Red Sox fans in the last 15 years, we don't really have, a, or 20 years, we don't really have a leg to stand on to complain about stuff. Like we are blessed <laughs> in so many ways. And I will acknowledge that. It doesn't mean that you can't. We're still Red Sox fans. We're of the older generation of Red Sox fans that remember how bad it, we actually had it. I was born in the early 80s. So it's like I lived through plenty. I didn't live through all of it in the 70s and the 60s and all that. But you still have very painful memories of what happened in in the 90s and the early 2000s before 2004 happened so you can remember what it unfortunately what it could be like and we're getting in that right now is what it seems. Kevin, let's move over to San Diego, though, because, as we mentioned, Xander got paid. Good for him. Power on him to get what, obviously, a lot of people are seeing as more than anybody expected him to get. You could say that San Diego was upset because they lost out on Aaron Judge. So they're like, we have all this money we're going to spend it on somebody. We might as well give it to Xander Bogart. How does this impact their lineup, at least their infield?
2: Yeah, I think for right now, it it moves Haesong Kim over to second base. They're still... Looking like Jake Cronenworth at first base. We know that they're making a lot of moves. They may not be done. This could all change. And this is all before Tatis Jr. comes back, who is almost certainly an outfielder now. With Bogarts at shortstop, Machado at third base, I highly doubt they want him to play second base. So I even wonder if if this is all insurance with Tatis as well. If they're not sold on the fact that he's going to come back and stay healthy and stay in their lineup, that this isn't just, oh, we're going to have Tatis in the outfield, and now we have this amazing infield on top of it with room for him in the outfield. I wonder if they are seriously concerned about how much playing time they're going to get out of Tatis Jr. this year.
1: Yeah, I I think that's valid. There's so many directions in which your mind can go with the makeup of this infield, of this lineup in general as well. There's a lot of talk that Xander's defense at shortstop isn't going to hold up. You know, I know he's very. he's been very vocal about how he wants to stay at shortstop, at least when he was with Boston. We'll see now that he's gotten paid. Maybe he doesn't care where he plays. He's already, He's got that guaranteed contract, no trade clause, no opt-outs. He's in San Diego for 11 years. Simple as that, unless he's cut at the end of that deal. But that's not to say that his fielding is going to stay in shortstop. The possibility of, I wonder if Xander moves around the infield this year to make room for Tatis when he comes back. Tatis plays some time in the outfield. Both of them keeping multi-position eligibility is, from a fantasy lens, very, very appealing, <laughs> to say the least. I've got Xander in a dynasty league. If he got second base eligibility all of a sudden, I would not be upset about it. Simple as that. And
2: the, I'm a big fan of Hae-song Kim. Have been for a long time. Still am. Love what he did in the second half. Different sites out there have him hitting at the top of the lineup until Tatis comes back. Others have him already down in the nine spot. That's 150 plate appearance difference over a season. So this is huge to keep an eye on for somebody like song Kim, for those that, like me, are big fans of him, especially in deeper leagues.
1: Yeah, the flip of it is that Manny Machado, I believe, has an opt-out clause after the 2023 season. He very well could be seeing all this money all these infielders are getting and realize, hey, I can actually make more money than my once used, what felt like a record-breaking contract I got from the Padres. Xander moves over to third base, almost exactly the same as what we saw in Boston with Trevor Story being signed as a hedge bet to Xander leaving. Now, even though we might not want to see it, Shelly, we're probably seeing Story move over to shortstop just as we had feared. Same thing could happen to San Diego, where Xander ends up saying, fine, you know what? You're paying me. I'll play wherever you want me to play. Move him over to third base and then Hopefully by then, Tatis' shoulder is good to go and he can play shortstop. So a lot of moving parts here. I mean, so I would venture to guess that if that is a plan, if we see that happening in real time throughout the season, we might see Xander fill in at third base when Machado has a day off or Machado gets a DH a day. And if we see that happen throughout the season, I think uh, I think that'll be quite telling as to where we think Machado's head is at come the end of the season, if we see Xander filling in at third base as a kind of a get ready to move over there next year. All right, well, the Red Sox made an actual move. They made two decently big signings. We talked about Kenley Jansen going to the back of their bullpen for the next two years in the last episode. But in addition to that, literally this happened. (laughs) It must have happened like an hour after we stopped recording, Kevin. Matsutaka Yoshida signed what appears to be a five-year deal after getting posted. And I thought this was going to happen a lot longer. I even said it on the episode. I'm like, we'll find out in 30 days whether or not when he gets signed. But nope, apparently the Red Sox won that posting pretty quickly. And they already had a contract ready to go. Five years in left field for in Fenway Park. We're, do you see him being an out? Sorry, a leadoff hitter for the Red Sox, and in Fenway, not a bad place for an unknown hitter to to make his way. Left playing left field is a difference that we don't really care about that in, in fantasy. But I'm, he'll I have some practice to do getting those bouncers off the monster and all that, and we'll see how many games he plays in left field compared to filling it at DH or moving around. What's your take on Yoshida heading to Fenway Park?
2: I'm going to defer to Tim McLeod here, and he responded to Casey Bubba on Twitter yesterday. Bubba asked him, like we would all like to, if we had a chance, (laughs) what did we do with Yoshida? And uh, Tim said, replied 15 to 20 home runs, a 350 OBP, and a ton of runs hitting the top Boston's lineup. So he thinks he's going to be the leadoff guy. I'm going with that. I'm going with what Tim says here. I'm going with what he says for projections as well. 15 to 20 home runs, about a 350 OBP. Have to dive in a little deeper to see how that affects the rest of his counting stats for fantasy purposes. But roster resource also has him at the top of the lineup for now. That's what I'm. That's what I'm going to roll with.
1: Yeah, that makes it makes sense. And if he's at the top of that lineup, I, it's still Fenway Park. It's still the Red Sox, no matter how much Shelley and I might be wallowing over here. It's still going to he's still going to have opportunity to produce those counting stats, especially in the runs category. Maybe not that power hitter that we saw. I don't know if you've seen the highlights of him in the Japan series walking off, I think it was game five. That was an amazing home run. You could watch it over and over again and never get tired of it. And I'm sure that'll be part of the highlight reel that the Red Sox trot out there to kind of, hey, look who we did get. This is what we got. Don't cry too much. We got him. All right, that's you're happy, right? No, oh, okay, we'll work on that. Shelly, what did you think of this signing? Because this signing came before the announcement of Xander going to Diego. So, put aside that, what were your thoughts on Matsutaka coming over to Fenway? Were you, was this somebody that you hoped that they were targeting? We've had some instances of the Red Sox signing players from Japan in the past with mixed results, but are you hopeful for this one?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, as you, we always, at least this winter and actually part of like last winter, we've been like thought to be like in with all, pretty much everybody. So when I saw that he was posted and the Red Sox were really interested, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is just, they're just whatever they're, they're in quote unquote. Yeah. But then when it came through that, it was like a five-year, five-year, $90 million contract. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Because the Red Sox really have been looking for like a reliable leadoff hitter since Mookie left. And I was like, OK, so we're going to get this guy and we're going to get Xander. And that's fine. We got some guys in the bullpen. This is looking great. I really do think that he's he's going to do very well at Fenway and he's definitely going to be leading off. I have no doubt about that.
1: Yeah, he's we all know that from a fantasy lens, like once he was signed, even once he was posted, but I guess they happen pretty much simultaneously, his, he, his draft stock was going to go up almost regardless. It's like it happens once somebody gets signed, once their name is in the news in general, we start seeing that happen. So I, the fact that he's got an ADP around 340 currently right now is that won't hold almost immediately. Kevin, I'm going up the list as far as like, leadoff hitters. The first one that kind of comes that comes up as I'm as almost like a guaranteed leadoff player is a Lane Thomas in Washington. He's going at 287. Are you willing to take the chance of Yoshida over Lane Thomas? That's close.
2: I think so. If it becomes apparent that as we all believe that Yoshida is going to be the leadoff hitter for the Red Sox. Yeah, I think I'd rather have the leadoff hitter, especially with his talent. And that lineup, then the leadoff hitter for the Nationals. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a lot of interesting names. He's also, in my mind, Yoshida's going to play pretty much every day. You don't sign somebody sight unseen for $15 million a year for a five year contract without the intention of him playing at least six, if not seven days a week, when you have a seven game work week. And we're, the players he's going around, especially in the outfield, that doesn't exist. where he's going in drafts right now going right above him is edward olivares alex kirloff jose siri these guys are not either they have injury concerns they're not gonna play every day they have platoon concerns they're not gonna play every day or they just they're a fourth outfielder or they're in a situation where they have four outfielders on their team so i'm totally willing to be moving up yoshida quite a bit based on playing time alone in the what we're seeing outfield in these early drafts just dissipate really quickly so somebody to keep an eye on and don't, do you, if you are interested, I think you're going to have to start moving him up quite a bit.
2: Yeah, I was just looking. How far are we thinking here? Let's just pull a name out of midair. How about Trent Grisham? What do you think between Yoshida and Trent Grisham?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's right. That's right near Lane Thomas. If you're yeah. uh, the way you did it. Okay, I see. I see what you did there. Yeah, this is <laughs>
2: going up a little higher. Some of these guys, Brandon Marsh that are in this range. I think he's going to go above all of them, don't you?
1: Yeah, I can imagine him going as Alex Verdugo. I think that you can make a case where he's going to be since he's at the top of that lineup, as long as he holds on top of that that top spot in the lineup, I'd be more interested in taking Yoshida than teammate Alex Verdugo. Shelly, we're we're looking at maybe even more an apt is right above Alex Verdugo is uh, Jeff McNeil of the Mets. The dual eligibility obviously comes into play here as well. But we're talking about a, a top 200 pick here at this point. Is this kind of a range that you're seeing Yoshida being of interest to you as you get into training.
3: yeah Yeah, uh, like when it comes to McNeil, I think I would definitely just take a shot on Yoshida at that point because we all know who McNeil is. He's outside of the bouncy ball year. He's just like a low power, good average guy, right? And the Mets lineup is a little bit in flux too. I, I'd rather just bank on the quote-unquote known leadoff hitter and just Hope and pray that power comes
1: through. <laughs> Hope and pray. that's <laughs> That sounds like a true Red Sox fan right there. <laughs> yeah, I've, I grabbed, I, I've had four and a half drafts so far. I've got three of those drafts. I've walked away with Sheeta. and I've been pretty happy with it until I saw Casey Bubba's tweet the other day where he grabbed them in the 27th round. I don't know if it was a 12-teamer or 15-teamer, but it was the 20th, top of the 27th round. And I'm like, oh. Getting him in the 18th round doesn't seem as I'm not as proud of myself now, but still a pick I would make again for fear of just completely making this a Red Sox fan fest, if you will. I'm still gonna do it, Shelly. Give me your take. What do you what about Kenley Jansen? What about Chris Martin? What about that bullpen? Is is that something is that a shining piece that we can actually hold our hat on now? Or because last year it was not,
3: (laughs) it was not at all. I was like really really happy about the Chris Martin signing, it was. Again, unexpected, but he pitched extremely well last year. 305 ERA, a .98 whip, 74 to 5 K to B ratio. It's between, I think it was what, the Cubs and the Dodgers? Think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. um, Yeah. So, I mean, he's 36. He's definitely, he's not a closer, but he's a great eighth inning option. He could probably pick up, a, like a good holds saving holds guy you could probably pick up a couple wins as well and then when it came to Kinley Jansen like that one was like totally out of left field I was at work and my phone just buzzed and I happened to look <laughs> over and it says Kinley. I'm like oh where'd he sign I'm like oh my gosh that says Red Sox what the heck <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I was like totally dumbfounded I'm like okay so we have really uh, two really good bullpen options um, Trustworthy,
1: yeah. really. I know that Kenley has had his, like Dodgers fans and Atlanta fans will say they had little mini heart attacks every time he was on the mound. I get yep. it. Yep. But he still ended up, he still produced.
3: Exactly. Just don't watch your closest, Just don't
1: it closest. Just don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Turn off the game after the eighth inning. <laughs>
3: Exactly. But yeah, I think it's a really good fit for Boston. We won't have to deal with oh, Matt Barnes anymore. Oof. We don't have to worry about him being the closer. And with getting two bullpen options, maybe we can see Whitlock as a starter. I don't know. But yeah, I was, it's really going to help the Red Sox in the later innings.
1: Yeah, the bullpen itself looks halfway decent now. I almost trust it. We'll wait until we get into games and actually see it working for me to actually feel that confident about it. But between the way what Schreiber did last year or toward the end of the year, if how can be that middle, middle of the game, maybe multi-inning slash even seventh inning guy that we can trust in that role. He looked really good in the short stint that he was closing out games before the team traveled to Toronto and then he had to stay home and then he never got really another chance to come back into the end of the games. But still, in those short stints, he looked great, and everybody, everybody's yeah. been saying it all offseason. Hauk should be the closer; he should be, and uh, at least now, maybe he has a better chance of staying in the bullpen and just being just a blow away guy. Yeah. All right, we'll finally move away from the Boston Red Sox for now. We will return, I promise. But for now, there was another move here, and it involved a decently well known prospect. So, Shelly, I'm going to start off here with you. Of course, Atlanta, they traded for some bullpen depth, acquiring Joe Jimenez from the Tigers. In exchange, they sent prospect Justin Henry Malloy to Detroit. What can you tell us about Malloy? and, And am I seeing, I saw a lot of Atlanta fans on Twitter either perplexed or upset. Besides the fact that now their bullpen looks even a little bit better, they really were kind of fans of Malloy, our own Chris Clegg being one of them.
3: Yeah, I was really shocked that I love this for Detroit. Because Jimenez is on his like last year, right? Mm -hmm. They only have one year left and they traded to get Henry Monoy. He is, he has played third base and corner outfield. He's probably just a good, just corner outfield bad. He's not a really good third baseman. A good corner outfield, probably like more right field. Above average raw power, which he's definitely going to need in Detroit. That's like the big thing that like really hurts his dynasty value is Detroit's outfield park is just huge. So, it's going to bring down like the projected power numbers, but he has enough pop to to still make it work out there. He's not your typical just slugger type. He has ex- ex- excellent strike zone discipline and above average bat to ball skills. So, that's what you like to hear, right? Someone who knows the strike zone can put the bat on the ball and has enough pop to get it out of the park. It's a One, two, three, like best combo. So he really has the potential to be an above average hitter with high walk rates. So he's going to be good in average leagues and he's going to be good in OBP leagues. And I think that he's probably going to be around the 15 to 20 home run just because he's in Detroit. But I really, I love this for the Tigers. Still surprised that Atlanta gave him up because I don't know. I did a draft in first pitch Arizona where like with a bunch of like other people and we had to, it was a draft of just people who had not made like they're just an all rookie draft and we're going to, it's like a draft and hold and we're going to play it out. And I had just, I had actually picked Henry Malloy because I thought that he was going to get some at-bats in Atlanta. I guess he's going to get at bats in Detroit now. Yeah,
1: that would have been great. my next question. Are we going to see him in Detroit this year? He traveled across three different levels last year, yeah. finishing in triple A with 33 plate appearances. So it wouldn't be too surprising in a, with a new franchise for him to start off in triple A for Detroit. But how, especially with that roster, how soon can you see him coming
3: up? I definitely think that he is going to start the season in triple A. I give it maybe two to three months. It depends on how Austin Meadows looks because he didn't really play at all last year but still I do think that he's going to get some run next year so maybe in the 50 round DCs on the NFBC site maybe in the later rounds if you want to take a flyer like after like past round 40 41 something like that he's a good he's a good flyer to take if you're willing to do that but yeah I do think that he's going to get some time
1: he has 6th round pick out of the 2021 draft by Atlanta Already moved up to AAA in his uh, first, actually, in his first or second, first full season of ball. I know he is, uh, Atlanta can be aggressive, so that it makes a a little bit more sense to see that. But we'll see how Detroit handles him moving forward. Detroit losing part of their bullpen, Kevin, with Joe Jimenez going to Atlanta in this part of this deal. I don't know, in, in my mind, does this sure up Gregory Soto as the closer as much as we want to make fun of the fact that Gregory Soto is not a good closer, but yet he still continues to have the job. Are you more or less confident drafting Soto as your closer in a draft? Because in theory, the number one competition for the job might have just left.
2: Yeah, I think that is the case in theory, but I don't think it really was much of a threat. I think we're in the same spot. Soto is the Tigers closer unless they bring someone in. In For a while last season, the Detroit bullpen as a whole was performing pretty well. I thought more guys than did would be moved at the trade deadline out of their bullpen. Didn't happen. A lot of these guys are still here, but their profiles look a lot like Gregory Soto's when you (laughs) look at them, right? So it's all about opportunity in Detroit for our purposes. It's all about saves. We're not getting a lot. In fact, we're it might hurt some of our other categories here. But unless they bring somebody in, I'm thinking of Gregory Soto the same way I was a couple days ago. He's probably the closer in Detroit, and I don't want to use him in my leagues unless I have to. But as of right now, he's probably the guy getting the saves. Yeah, ADP of
1: 179 going right after, for in the reliever market, going right after Andre Munoz, who could or could not be a closer in Seattle, even in a part-time basis, going right before the aforementioned Jose Leclerc, who went quite a few rounds earlier in the draft the other day. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
2: LeClerc is moving up. I'm not the only one that likes the starting rotation that the Texas Rangers are putting together and thinking that they are willing to roll with him as the closer as the as we get more into this offseason. Yeah, he went a good three rounds above his minimum pick in the draft we're in last night. Yeah, this is going to be he's moving up.
1: Yeah, I think we find, we talked about this. With there are relievers on the market that could find themselves in a situation where they could become the closer, but they're not slam dunks. They're not Kenleys. They're not Edwin Diaz. So I I would venture to guess a lot of these guys we're talking about, like the Jose Leclercs, even the Gregory Sotos, that they were the closer unless they unless the team brought in a top tier guy that's going to be an obvious villain. I don't think. LeClerc is in a situation where if the Rangers brought in Taylor Rogers or David Robertson, that LeClerc would necessarily lose that job. Gregory Soda, even Gregory Soto, Detroit's not doing that. If they're not going to re-sign Michael Fulmer, they're not going to bring in David. They might bring in David Robertson. That might be a good fit there. But they're not going to bring in Taylor Rogers, a lefty specialist who might dictate a much higher contract. So I think it's a lot safer to be targeting these types of closes. I haven't been targeting them for fear at this stage of draft season, for fear that their roles were not really cemented. If I'm going to pay up for closers, which I typically do, I want to make sure that I have a guaranteed closer at this stage. But I think we've gotten past that. I think we've gotten past the point where these guys have, they're only competing with players that are currently on their own teams. And the guys we're talking about, Gregory Soto, Jose Leclerc, aren't really competing with anybody. Leclerc, maybe with Jonathan Hernandez, but really those guys are like, the same guy and the Rangers ended the season with LeClerc in that role so there's not much to say that he won't be going right back into it to start the season like you said
2: and you mentioned some of the other guys that are still available but the guy we were worried about in all of those situations was Kenley Jansen I think the 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 fantasy players that had the biggest sigh of relief were those that were drafted Doval early in yep. the Gladiator drafts. Even if he he was, was he had yeah. gone in second, early third, <laughs> late second, early third round in some drafts. So when Jansen did sign somewhere else, big sigh of relief there. And I think in a lot of other situations, that's the one guy we were really worried about. If he comes in, he is taking over the job. Some of these other guys agree may or may not put a dent into the save opportunities.
1: All right. This is some good there's some good moves that we missed out on our last episode. So I'm glad we were able to talk about them here. And now we're going to let's get into kind of the main reason we had we brought Shelly in here. We had the Rule 5 draft happen just just yesterday as we're recording this on Thursday finished up on Wednesday evening and we're going to talk a little bit about the results from that right after this quick break.
0: When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat.
1: All right, we are back. Of course, you're listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Hound, joined by Kevin Hastings. We are lucky to be joined by Shelly Verstrait to talk about the Rule 5 draft that happened, the Major League Baseball Rule 5 draft. There is a major league component and a minor league component to this draft. Minor league component, not as relevant, I think, to our discussion here, but we will touch on it by the end here. But Shelly, can you give our listeners who may not be fully aware of... What the Rule Five Draft is, why it happens, and why we, why as fan drafters we might be interested in what came out of it.
3: Yeah, the, uh, the Rule Five Draft is it's a really it's a really awesome thing if you think about it because it really disperses talent like throughout the entire league. So to be eligible for the Rule Five Draft, you have to have be in the minors either four or five years with one team it depends on if you're an international signee or if you were drafted so it depends on age so you need to be in a minor league system for four or five years but you were not added to their respective teams 40-man roster so the, the player pool for all of these teams can be quite large let's see let's see oh the costs for making a pick you can you make a pick and but they have to remain on your active 26 man major league roster the entire season if they if they don't you can send them it sounds weird you can send them back to their other team <laughs> their original team <laughs> we
1: changed our minds go home
3: <laughs> yeah or you could there you can make a trade or whatever but yeah but and that's really a
1: if a player, if the team makes a trade though, the rules, the rule five draft rules still applies to that player, if I'm not mistaken. So right. we did see a couple trades already happen and we'll get right. to those in a second, but like those players still have to be on their new team, their new teams, major league roster as well, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I also understand that there's a cost to these picks, not just, you know, to your roster But it costs the team $100,000 to just make the pick in general, which it gets paid to the team in which you're taking the player from. And then if you do want to sell them back, the team doesn't have to take them back. (laughs) if They don't want to, but they can. And then they have to then they get half their money back. So it's like a weird return policy like from the clearance rack at TJ Maxx or something like that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So we've had some we've had some success stories come out of the rule five draft. Gonna take the easy one that comes to my mind, obviously, I'm gonna probably take this one from you if you were going to mention it. Garrett Whitlock was just picked up by the Red Sox from the Yankees in the Rule Five Draft last year. Obviously he's worked Out as best as you could have hoped from this type of this type of a pick i was listening to mlb pipeline the other day and they were talking about ryan presley also a really good example somebody who was a real fight he wasn't successful right away but he obviously he has turned out to be quite successful can either one of you guys think of anybody else that comes to mind or did i take the two obvious ones
3: akil badu i mean he did have kind of a down year last year but that first year that he was with the tigers was pretty good and i Still believe in him, so that was that was one name that like of most recently outside of Whitlock that like was at least fantasy relevant for a bit.
1: Oh, he and he was relevant right off the bat, pun intended, right (laughs) away. (laughs) Kevin, anybody that comes to mind, whether it's for the Royals or for anybody else, that you you always think about when it comes to Rule Five.
2: Badu was the one I was thinking of as the most recent
1: that really popped in my mind as well. Yeah. So as we're trying to rack our brain over this, you can tell. This far and few between. It doesn't always happen. Why we're interested, though, is exactly what Shelly said. The rules that these players are guaranteed a spot on a major league roster to start the season. And as long as they are not returned to their former team or DFA would or just cut all, all outright, they will be on the major league roster all season, giving them that much more op- opportunity to either create more at bats for themselves or make a name for themselves in a, whether it's a rotation or a bullpen. And the majority of these players that changed hands are pitchers, only two bats total in the major league portion of this draft were drafted. And they were both drafted toward the top in the top four picks of this draft. So let's talk about these players. And I'm going to start off with these two bats to get them out of the way. Tell me about Ryan Noda who the A's picked up from the Dodgers. And then Blake Sabal got picked up by the Reds, always interested in a new bat going to Great America Small Park in general. But they unfortunately traded him to San Francisco. So complete opposite (laughs) direction as far as ballparks go. Going to be in San Francisco there for the Giants. Both bats find their way to Major League rosters in the in San Francisco Bay Area with Nota going to the A's and Sabol going to San Francisco what sort of immediate impact can we expect from either of these bats now that they have new teams on a major league roster
3: Yeah I'll start out with Nota first I've been a fan of his like ever since he was like with the Blue Jays because I play in a lot of OBP style dynasty and keeper leagues and that is Ryan Nota's calling card He has never had an OBP lower than 372 which is crazy.
1: That seems good.
2: <laughs>
3: and Yeah. And this year he had, he has some pop. His average exit velo this year was about 89 miles per hour, which is pretty good. And he had a hard hit rate about 45%, which is, that's what you like to see. And again, he's going to the A's. They don't really have anyone at first base, because that's where Noda plays. That's really going to block him. And I know that defense quote unquote doesn't really matter in the game that we play, but it's really important, especially for guys on the Rule 5 draft, because even if he doesn't hit, Noda plays in an amazing first base. So I really do think that he is going to stick with the ace. I think that as long as he can make enough contact, because he does have some swing and miss. He's patient, maybe a little bit patient to a fault, but if he's able to maybe hit 240, right, with a I don't know, a 360 OBP or something like that. I think that he should be able to stick with the A's. And then, who's he? Oh, Sabal. He is a left-handed hitter, above average pop. I was writing some blurbs for NBC for the Real 5 draft last night. And when I saw he was going over to Cincy... I, just like you said, Adam, I was like really excited. I'm like, okay, this is, this is going to work. But then he was traded. He's a left-handed, left-hander, above average pop, and definitely better bat-to-ball skills than Noda. But he's still not like the best average hitter, if that makes sense. He is, he has played catcher. He, but he's more, he's better suited to play in an outfield corner spot. And I do think that's where the Giants will play him. I don't know if he's going to stick though, just because just the way the Giants have worked the last couple of years, like they really like to do platoons and stuff. And if he doesn't hit right away, they might just say, cut him and go for someone else.
1: Yeah, I think on the surface, at the very least, that's exactly where my mind went as far as which one of these guys has more of a direct access to playing time I've talked about this a couple of times talked about it just last week Kevin anybody that's on the A's that has a guaranteed contract I'm at least going to be interested in for the plate appearances cuz he's probably going to get them knowing that these guys have guaranteed contracts quote I'll use guaranteed in quotes here to be on a major league roster on opening day how much does that impact how much how readily you are to target these guys, especially in deeper leagues in these DCs that we've been drafting.
2: No, in together what both you and Shelly are saying, it's really intriguing on certain teams, right? Oakland, this makes a lot more sense for Noda to me, definitely going to keep an eye out here. Yeah. When you look at their roster resource page, they can move all these guys around and we're assuming Sean Murphy is going to be gone right? But they have Tony Kemp in left field. We know he can play just about anywhere. They have Seth Brown at first base. We know he can play outfield. Jace Peterson that they just signed, we know he could play anywhere. Aledmus Diaz can move around the infield as well. There's a lot of moving parts here and that will help, I think, with a guy like Noda and the fact that if they're going to hold on to him, he has to remain on this 26-man roster. For the entire season, as you have brought up earlier. Yeah, I like this. And then the same concerns in San Francisco. I think it does work out pretty well for Sabol here if he's hitting. That's a big if, Shelley said. So it's really interesting. I think I I, I lean Noda for preference Definitely. To get back to your question, it's a big plus when we're talking late rounds of 50 round draft champions leagues. And we have players that we know if that organization wants to keep them in their organization, they have to remain in that 12 or 13 offensive players they have on that bench. And even teams like San Francisco with all the matchups and platooning they do. That's not a lot of room for movement. If you're going to keep this guy on the roster, he is going to get some run. Yeah, absolutely. It comes into play, especially in the late rounds of DCs.
1: Yeah, Ryan Nota the one thing he's got going against him, at least in the NFBC, he is UT only. Currently going into the season, he has not been drafted. Neither has Sabal, but at least, actually, you know what? Sabal doesn't even show up <laughs> when I try to search for him. He <laughs> might need to be added to the player pool. So if you're looking at drafting him, you're probably going to have to send a message over to the uh, to the to to whoever's working the draft room during your draft. But yeah, I'd be all about grabbing Noda, especially in uh, late rounds before more and more podcasts and articles get written about the Rule 5 results. If you can get ahead of that. Yeah, by all means, get as many at-bats as you possibly can, and he is set to get them. Even in a park like Oakland, at-bats are at-bats, especially in a deep league like that. All right, let's, that hits on the two hitters <laughs> of the 15 players that were drafted. Only two of them were hitters, which tends to be the case in most of these uh, Rule 5 drafts. So let's move on to some of those pitchers, and as I previewed earlier. This is the opportunity for me to get back to the Red Sox here, Shelley. This time Dave Dombrowski gets his guy back. The Phillies, he takes Noah Song from the Red Sox. He has spent most of his professional career serving in the Navy. The Red Sox didn't protect him on the 40-man roster and Dave Dombrowski, who drafted him when he was with Boston, he snatched them up but was able to place him on the military reserve list, which is where the Red Sox had been holding him most of his professional career. It keeps him he is this weird loophole. He keep the Phillies are able to draft him and then not have to put him on their 40 man roster until he's actually released of service from the Navy. And once he is, he will be subject to all the rules of the rule five drafts. He'll have to go on the Phillies. He'll go to the Phillies pitching staff and not to their minor leagues, but he's only accrued 17 professional innings all coming in 2019, which is the same season in which he was drafted in. What can you tell us about Noah Song that has Dave Dombrowski so enamored in him that he would draft him with such risk and then also pick him back up with what is very little risk, but no experience?
3: Yeah, I definitely did not have Noah Song being selected on my Rule 5 bingo card at all. (laughs) This one like totally shocked me. But Noah Song, when he was pitching for Navy, I think it was 2019, he was hitting like upper 90s, like fastball was like really high in the zone, really fast, like 95, 96, striking everyone out, just looking just really good. And then he pitched for Team USA and he was getting up to like close to 100 miles an hour. Like he he was just, I was, oh, I was so enamored with him. I knew, I knew that there was, a, everyone knew that there was a risk for, with drafting him because he still had this military commitment. And then he just got in, he hit like a really bad spot to where like the rules were changing between being able to bypass his commitment, but not really. So yeah, but he hasn't pitched since 2019 because I doubt the Navy has like a bullpen on that flight deck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I oh, you'd be Navy. surprised. Yeah,
2: <laughs> You'd be surprised what guys find places to no do fences. on the ship. No I've fences, you can hit the yeah. ball real far.
3: But yeah, I really, I like the gamble. I mean, it was, it's a really interesting gamble. I'm not surprised that the Red Sox didn't protect him because I don't think anyone thought that he was going to be selected. But if he does come back, I am I definitely will be watching because I want to see if that stuff is still there. Because if you go on YouTube and just type in Noah Song 2019 All-American Game or whatever, we'll see why. It, it's, it's some nasty stuff. Kevin,
1: with the fact that he's only had 17 professional innings and they came five years ago, not five years ago, but you know what I'm saying. It's been a while since he's been on the mound how like how quickly would you be when would you be going after him in like in fab if or in a dynasty league where he's still available maybe it's a little bit more relevant like how aggressive would you be with him or should we be with him knowing that he's going to have again guaranteed opportunity in at the major league level even though he has such a little experience
2: yeah so we're probably assuming especially with someone with his velocity that yeah they'll, they'll they're going to have to make use of him if he's taking up a spot. It's probably going to be in the bullpen. He's going to be one of these guys like we talk about all the time that could be very beneficial to our teams, even if he's in the bullpen to start out. I saw Kyle Bodie's post on Twitter yesterday. I want to read this because this is what caught my eye. I had I knew of Noah Song, knew a little bit about him. Like Shelley, I was surprised he got picked. Kyle Bodie posted, this is an insanely sick pick. Noah song hasn't pitched since 2019 because of military service. He would have been a surefire first rounder out of college. If not military bound was sitting was 96 to 99 with a plus slider. When I saw him with team USA. And then he continued. This might be an all time favorite rule five pick of mine, regardless of outcome. And he's just talking about him taking a shot on a, insane talent like this i this makes me want to buy in this makes me i'm going to keep an eye on him late in deep league drafts take scan scan the player pools in keeper and dynasty leagues see where he's available as you mentioned and definitely keep an eye on this and yeah we're they're not going to keep him on the roster in that spot Once he does return from the military service, if they can't use him, at least in a bullpen role, we've seen how every time we expand the rosters over the last couple of years, as rules have been adjusted with COVID, how valuable they are and how often they're used for relief pitchers and so th- he's got to be of some use when he does return and is taking up that spot i think we'll see him and it, it's this is something we'll follow this is somebody we might be watching a movie about here in 15 20 years
1: <laughs> this is the, this is totally a disney movie disney sports movie made in the making as we're as we're watching i think it- of all the formats I play in, I think the most interested I'd be in Song right as of this moment would probably be in like an, my hot new league where I have a, a expanded roster. I have extra bench spots where I could hold on to him and see where they go. And it's more than likely in my auction that comes up later on in the off season that he's only going to cost me a dollar. It's not going to be, it's mm-hmm. not going to put a dent in my wallet. This is a dollar day kind of dart that I would be willing to throw knowing that if he does get out of that service with Navy, he'll be on the major league roster. He's not a stash to an extent. He's not a minor league stash per se. He's more of a guy that's like on the bereavement leave for an extended period of time that was you have a feeling he's healthy. Just doesn't have a lot of the experience since 2019 to back it up. Boston lost another pitcher. The very first pick in the draft, Thad Ward. He was picked up by the Nationals. He becomes what MLB Pipeline says is their number 13th prospect overall. And he'll lose that prospect status in short order after being on the roster for X amount of days, as long as he's not returned back to Boston. He'll join the Nationals pitching staff in DC and he'll lose that status once they get to that point. But what role do you see him filling in for the Nationals, Shelly? What does he bring to the table? Tell, talk to us about- uh-
3: Yeah, this is, I knew that Fad Ward was going to be selected. I was majorly upset that they did not, that the Red Sox did not protect him. Like I've been a Thad Ward fan for a while. I really like his breakout campaign, like in 2019, he was like turning into kind of what I thought like a good, like back in number four type of starter. And since the Red Sox hasn't really developed a lot of really good pitching prior to at that point, I was just, I was enamored with him. So Thad Ward, he got into, so like I said, he had a breakout campaign in 2019 and then obviously didn't pitch in 2020 because of
1: Nobody the final
3: leagues. And then he comes back in 2021. He's looking great. He's looking great. But then about halfway through the year, he has to undergo TJ. And then he didn't get back on the mound until very late this year. I think he threw maybe five, six innings before heading off to Arizona to pitch in the Arizona Fall League. So because of the pandemic and then TJ, he hasn't really pitched Too much over the past two years, which is probably why Boston decided not to keep him. But I'm like, I don't, I didn't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. But it's a good pick for the Nationals because they need all the help that they can get. And honestly, I really do think that he is, he's definitely a starter. He's not going to be like, because typically in the rule five, if a pitcher gets drafted, like snatched up, it's usually a reliever. This guy, Ward, is definitely going to be a starter. He should start on opening not on opening day but be in the opening day rotation he doesn't have overpowering stuff he has like a i think it's like a two-seamer that sits about low to mid 90s a good slider a cutter and a changeup. so he has four pitches which is exactly what you need and i do think like i said i do think that he is gonna stick with the nationals because they don't have i don't see who else unless he just like Pools like a Patrick Corbin, right? And just is like awful. I think that the Nationals got a good one here.
1: Yeah, that's. I like that you brought up the fact that he's a starter. He's going to be a starter. Rasta Resource has them in long relief right now. But is there, you look at the projected rotation for the Nationals, and you have some obvious guys that are going to be in the rotation. You, you have Josiah Gray, Patrick Corbin's still getting paid. And then there's talk that Kate Cavalli pretty much has a spot in the rotation on opening day. And then Mackenzie Gore coming over from San Diego. And then Corey Abbott, as their number five, does Thad Ward have a good enough spring to beat out Corey Abbott to be the on the opening day fifth starter for the Nationals?
3: I think so. The only thing that might limit that is because he hasn't pitched too much. Maybe they don't want to start him as a starter at the beginning and then ramp him up and then have him at a start, finish the year as a starter. That could possibly be the route that they go, but he's definitely better than Corey Abbott.
1: Fair enough. As you mentioned, he was in the Arizona Fall League, ended the Fall League with a 1-1 record, 2.84 ERA, and just 12 and two-thirds innings pitch. We're either, you guys are both at Arizona. I'll live vicariously through you. Kevin, did you have a chance to see Thad Ward pitch at all in any of the games you went to go see?
2: I don't believe so. If I did, I don't recall. I think Shelly bringing up the innings is a great point here. He got to just over 50 innings across all levels plus what he did in the Arizona Fall League this past season, 2022. Steamer has him projected for mid-60s innings, and they have three starts figured into that. So I I think some type of combination, like Shelley said, and figuring out how the Nationals work it, whether it's early in the year or if they end up shutting him down at some point later in the year, somehow they're going to have to manage these innings I don't see him going into triple-digit innings or much higher, regardless how they end up deploying him. This is going to be interesting to, to see right away, out of the gate, how they're using him and realizing that if he's in the rotation right away, probably not there all season long. Most definitely wouldn't be there all season long. And if not, then someone to keep an eye on because he could definitely move into that role as a season projector. Pro- progresses
1: yeah somebody it's always interesting to see who the number one overall pick is going to be in these drafts there's always going to be some kind of talent level there worth grabbing and you have a team like the nationals they can as shelly mentioned can use all the talent that they could possibly get from any corner of the of baseball universe good luck for taylor thad ward in taking advantage of the situation that he's going to be presented in 2023 we'll be watching him shelly is there any i mean it's at 15 players picked we singled out two two hitters we singled out two of the pitchers taken from the red Sox. that leaves 11 more players of the 11 remaining is there anybody of interest that's going into a situation where they could that you see them being relevant especially from a fantasy perspective?
3: there was one guy who i just like the team he came from and then the team that he went to or the team that he was traded to it's kevin kelly he was from the guardians he was picked up by the rockies but then traded to tampa bay
1: oh thank god (laughs) (laughs)
3: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And there was like this one snippet from baseball America's like little write-up of him that I really just thought was interesting and then saw that he went to the Rays and the Rays can do really great things out of the bullpen. So they said there's one pitcher available in the Rule Five draft that meets the following qualifiers. Fifty or more fifty or more innings pitched, a strikeout rate of twenty-nine percent or higher, a walk rate of nine percent or lower. And a ground ball rate above fifty percent and a FIP below three, and that's Kevin Kelly. I don't know what his role is going to be, but he's—I I think- never
1: know. He's with Tampa now. Granted, he's not pitching in Colorado. I'll give him that. <laughs> but if you're trying to define roles of a Tampa Bay pitcher, then you know more power to you.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he might be relevant, but I don't know. Someone to just keep your eye on.
1: I think it's safe to say that since he's with Tampa, though, he'll probably get, he'll probably get five six saves.
3: Like, <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Talking about saves, as Kevin, as Shelly mentioned, like a lot of these pitchers, we expect to, to fill in the bullpen situations of their new teams, especially those who have less than a whole bunch of experience. A couple of these guys got picked by teams that have a, a cloudy situation in their bullpens, especially at the back end. Are you? more or less willing to go after some of these guys, especially in a draft to hold, with the outside chance that they're able to make them give themselves a prominent role in these new bullpens. Specifically, I'm looking at the situations in Pittsburgh, Miami, and Detroit.
2: It's not something I would count on, but it's something that these guys are going to be in a position. Once again, we talk about players like this as pitchers like this all season long, off season and in season. That with the talent they have, if they're getting deployed, especially for more than three outs, these guys, because they aren't going to be relievers forever. If they're getting one and a third, two innings, and they're going to start snagging a win and snagging a handful of saves here and there. The three inning variety save, not something we can count on or really project when it might happen, but guys that we want to throw in our lineup instead of our sixth or seventh starter In a week when their team is playing seven games, they could end up with five or six innings. It could end up being a start from these guys and with the opportunity to snag a win or a save as well.
1: Yeah, you have, as I mentioned, the players to look at that went into these situations. Jose Hernandez got picked up by Pittsburgh. Nick Enright got picked up in Miami. And then Mason Egler in Detroit. Any of these names ring a bell or have a little shiny star next to them in your eyes, Shelly, or these guys that you're just waiting to see how they do in their new roles?
3: Just wait and see at this point, because some of these guys might not stick. So I'm just, I'll see what they look like in spring and go from there.
1: Yeah, I would be curious to see how many of these guys actually get returned because that does happen from time to time. Players just don't, they don't work out. And so they could just be returned to their former teams as well and get right back into the minor league system, possibly even be eligible for the minor league portion. So we'll end on that one, Shelly. The minor league portion of this draft is a little bit longer. I think it was like six or seven rounds. Not every team making a pick in all these rounds, of course, but a lot more players were selected. These players are players in the minors that were not protected on a triple a roster so any player that kind of fit that age range that you were talking about earlier who was double a or lower or would have been eligible it was there but they don't have the same restrictions the players that are picked at this portion of the draft don't have the same restrictions of having to be on the major league roster but in theory if they're a double a they're a little bit closer They could make a jump if they all things click. Is there anybody that kind of stood out to you in this portion of the draft that we should be keeping an eye on, even if it's more of a dynasty standpoint?
3: Yeah, looking through the list, there was like two names that just stuck out to me. One was Jared Leva. He used to play for the Pirates and he was picked up by the Angels. I used to be a fan of his a couple years ago. Decent like speed option with a little bit of pop. Maybe if there's like some injuries or whatever over in LA, maybe he can see some time. It was just like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. And then Joshua Palacios, formerly of the Nets, went over to the Pirates. He had a pretty good season in the minors last year for the AAA affiliate for the he didn't fare as well when he got his cup of coffee. The Pirates are in a major rebuild; like they are going, they have this carousel of guys that they're trying. So maybe we see Josh Palacios at some point. I wouldn't count on it being that great, but you never know.
1: Yeah, I'm looking back through it. I went to an Indianapolis Indians game, the AAA affiliate for the for the Pirates, and I have it was on my birthday in September. And I have this distinct recollection of Olivier ha- hitting a inside the park home run, and I thought that was a beautiful thing to watch. And so I was really surprised to see him since I saw him at Triple A that he yeah. wasn't even protected on his on the Triple A roster in which he played on last year. Never mind, well, he made an appearance in the major league level as well, if I'm not mistaken. It's, so that was a that was that's definitely a name that stood out to me as well it, from just a surprising standpoint that he was even. Yeah eligible at that point all right it's always interesting to see this is as deep as it gets when we talk about deep league options hopefully uh, the guys over in the deep will be uh, hitting on some of these players as well as their bread and butter but beyond all that kevin is there anything else that uh, is worth a kind of hitting home we weren't able to get to that in the last episode so i'm hoping you have some good nuggets of wisdom for everybody for this one
2: Yeah, this is especially for those in the on the wire listener leagues. This is exciting. NFBC has made some more changes to their fab page video being released today, Thursday as we're recording. So hopefully everybody has had a chance to take a look at that. But we actually have a fab league draft completed. We can go in and start experimenting, right? So that's where I'm at. I'm excited to get a look at that video. And then we're going to have a couple of these drafts have been completed probably by early next week. One of them already is. And we're some of the first ones to get to go play with this new toy from the NFBC. Huge advantage to to get these kind of things down to where you're very comfortable with them before the season starts.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm glad they were able to make this addition this early. Obviously, I think they're able to roll it out for the end of football season as well for those who dabble in that sort of thing. But if for baseball, it is nice to know that we have the extra opportunity to dabble with it. As you mentioned, we'll have at least these two leagues you and I will to nagle with and then we'll have another draft going on in January. So if you are interested in joining one of those, we still have, I think, three or four openings in our January 5th draft. So make sure you are checking out the link on our pinned tweet to sign up for that. In addition to anything else you might be planning out, I think we have some openings in one of our March drafts as well. So we'll be looking forward to getting those underway as the off season goes on. And we want you in there. We'll have two drafts on January 5th, Kevin. We have had enough signups. We'll have two drafts in January, two in February. we probably looking like we're going to have four drafts across the month of March. So a lot more leagues in our listener leagues this year compared to last year. And that's really exciting. And I want to go on record to make sure that you saw that I did not snipe you Vinny Pascantino in our draft. I My finger was on the button. We're picking back <laughs> to back in this draft. My finger was on the button and I, I couldn't do that to you, man. So I just want you to keep that in mind as this draft continues if, if something else comes up. I appreciate
2: that. I will I keep that in mind as we're going. Yeah. It that might have been the earliest I've taken him as well. <laughs> I didn't I didn't trust the Jake and a couple others to let him come back to me on that what was it, five-six turn somewhere around there.
1: Yeah, I'm lo- I'm looking forward to just also comparing. I've been looked through the full board from the first league, but I'm looking forward to seeing that episode that we do in I think mid-January is when we have it scheduled where we compare the first four leagues I and mean, they kind of the ADP that comes from drafting back in November early November and then mid January I and mean, the kind of changes that we're going to see especially in a 12 team fab league there can definitely be a lot of mixing and matching in there. Shelly, hopefully we'll get you in one of these as well. You were in the leagues last year, so hopefully we can get you back in as well for one of the openings that we still have. But thanks for taking the time and I'm sorry that it was surrounded. The reason we had you on to talk about the rule five and then also not to mention the Red Sox lost three players in that draft and we lost other things and I'm glad that you were here with me to talk through it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. This was a good therapy session. This was a great (laughs) therapy session. (laughs) Yeah. But again, thanks for having me on. It was great timing. It was a Red Sox field day yesterday.
1: (laughs) I'm glad we were able to get that out there. Just could you remind, let everybody know what you might be working on as the off-season trudges on and baseball season doesn't end for us? So I know, I'm know i sure you got other things you're working on. Yeah,
3: I'm working on some draft guides for the NBC Sports Edge group. And I also have an article in the Minor League Forecaster over at Baseball HQ that's going to mm-hmm. be coming out. I believe it comes out in January, something like that. So look for that and then just... I don't know. That's pretty much all I have on my plate, but which is pretty good. I'll just,
1: i probably
3: fall into some fangraphs, like black holes somewhere and like just have (laughs) a tweet thread on it or something. Make
1: sure you're following Shelly on the Twitter for said thread. She's at Shelly V underscore 643 and then anywhere else you might be. Are you still, did you end up joining any other uh, services?
3: No, it was just NBC and Baseball HQ.
1: No, I meant social media. Did you end up? jumping on board anywhere else or were you just too (laughs) dumbfounded by the situation
3: I I looked at Mastodon and uh, I couldn't figure it out so
1: (laughs) that's probably fair (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Alright guys, well that's gonna wrap it up for episode 91 of On the Wire. We'll be back throughout the off-season, so please make sure you're subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade That's all spelled out. Kevin is at HastingKevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On the Wire Pod. Once again, thank our guest Shelly for Straight for joining us. After all that, I am Adam Howe, and on behalf of Kevin Hasting, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.
0: <laughs>